morning, church family. Man, it's, um, it's so good to be with you. And what better place to be the last day of our year here, but together and worshiping together and thinking about things that really matter. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51. And if you're not sure where that is, um, that's okay. There's Bibles provided in front of you, and it's page 611, I believe. Um, and I'd love for you to reflect as we're thinking about God's Word, um, about the things that you had to be thankful for, uh, that you've seen God's faithfulness over this last year for you and your family, and be prompted to rejoice in Him over that. Uh, we've reached the end of our message series. If you've missed it, we've been in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we first started talking about the things that Isaiah themes in the book of Isaiah that were raised that can erode our faith, our confidence, um, can take us off the rails and head us down exactly the wrong direction. And how Isaiah speaks into those things in our life when we stick things up in our lives that are really false, um, specifically that become idolatry, things we worship, we vest in, we prioritize that are not the things of God and how that wrecks us. And not just um, wrecks our personality or the things around our family, but it it forces us to no longer have an impact in the things that God has called us to. And then we kind of turned a corner in the book of Isaiah and started talking about themes of hope, which, of course, we all love to think about, right? Um, and this passage specifically is a powerful passage of hope because it speaks about hope into the wastelands, the places that we experience in life that are hard, that are difficult that seem like there's no life there. I'm not sure if you've experienced those recently. I think about the, the turn of the new year, and even when I have asked some of you to think about things you're thankful for, your mind initially goes to the things that you are discouraged by, the things in this last year that you had to wrestle with, the challenges in your families, or the things that uh, unexpected reversals that happen in your life, and you're wondering, how in the world can I possibly be a person who's thankful um, this is a passage, actually, uh, an encouraging word spoken to people who were in a desperate place, in a wrecked place. Their, had, their fortunes had been reversed. They had lost people that they had loved. God was speaking to a people who were now in exile and was giving them a promise, um, actually a really surprising promise. And even in the things that Isaiah writes of here, he doesn't know all the things, how God is going to bring this about. And that's, of course, what we talked about briefly in this series about how when God speaks out through a prophet, a man like Isaiah, and he speaks promises out, that that prophet, um, God's going to bring his promises, his sure promises into reality. He does that sometimes in the lifetime of that person so everyone can see it and have confidence that God's always true to his word. And sometimes it's a lot longer. People have to wait for the promises of God actually to come true. And so he does that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes we're still waiting. Sometimes we know that God's promises are sure, but we're still waiting for that word to fully come true. And that's where these people are at. They're at a place of barrenness, of struggle. And God gives this word to Isaiah to give to the people. Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 8 going to read through this, and um, you'll see this astonishing picture of the breakthrough of God into this place. And if you are experiencing that place right now, as I know some of the families are, 
if you're going to experience that, you're not anticipating it right now, but all of a sudden you get your grades back <laughs> or you uh, have a reversal in your, fortune, your financial situation or health reverses itself and you find yourself in the hospital or with a loved one in the hospital. Remember these words, Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and you who seek the Lord. Now, I have to say, I don't know if that's you. Um, We're going to get to that, explain it a little bit, that phrase. But Isaiah is specifically speaking to people who have prioritized these two things. The pursuit of righteousness and those who actually are seeking God and they're interconnected. Then he says, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. Or, or for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places, it's places of desolation, and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell on it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man. Do not be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. There's a word picture. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. So Isaiah turns the attention of these people who are in a dark place, a wilderness place, a desolate place, and when he first calls them out, he calls specifically to some people. Now, it might not describe you, and I get that. Perhaps you're, you came, and because a relative brought you here, they drug you in, and you're not sure what you're doing at church, but here you are to please your family member or whatever. But you wouldn't describe yourself as a person who actually pursues righteousness or a person who seeks God. I just want to say I'm grateful that you're here. And the Bible describes something going on in your soul that you actually do have hardwired into you, into every person, a hunger to know God, a hunger to have relationship with him, a hunger to connect with him. And there's something in your soul, in your spirit, that will always be a waste place, a place of desolation until you know him, until you discover what his good gifts are like for you. And for those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, that's your pursuit. This is a word for you. That's why Isaiah is speaking to people specifically here. A people who have chosen to pursue righteousness. He's speaking about 
not just your personal life with God, but your corporate connection. Like we pursue God and pursue righteousness as individuals, but also together we help each other be righteous, right? And he's also speaking, secondly, to people who actually seek God, people who want to draw near to him. And he starts to use language in this text that he uses throughout the book that you might not be familiar with. So let me just define a couple terms really quick to help you understand Isaiah's perspective when he uses these terms. And they're connected terms. You can't separate these according to the Bible. Um, They're the terms justice and righteousness and salvation. So when you think, when God starts speaking about these terms, you can't be, you can't be just, a person who works out for justice and not have righteousness because justice is a byproduct of your righteousness, of your right relationship with other people, of your right relationship with God. Justice flows out of you. And when the prophets speak about justice, they're not just speaking about like special deeds that you've done but actual powerful works of God's movement in your life that when you seek him and you walk with him, then you're concerned about what's, what God's concerned about. You're concerned about the justice, the care for people who are disadvantaged, who are vulnerable. You're concerned about the things that are closest to the heart of God if God is working out righteousness in your life. So the term justice, the Hebrew word mishpat, and the term righteousness or sadaqwa, they're interrelated. Justice involves bringing people into a right place, a right place with God and others. And that actually is a byproduct of righteousness, which means that I am right with God and that I am right with other people. But here's the deal. The Bible says that you can't be right and earn righteousness in and of yourself. You can't do it. You might think you're really good. You might think of all the things you've done this past year and said, man, I've, I've got a great list of right things that I've done. I'm pretty righteous. But the Bible actually says, uh, no, you're not. Any righteousness that you have is a gift from God. It's his good grace on your life. Everything else that you've done does not have worth. It's not eternal. It will not last The things that last are going to be from God. So he speaks about this kind of righteousness, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. And he connects these things and speaks of our salvation. Our evangel, that's the the word you might have heard totally misused in our culture today um, when you think of the word evangelical, which is kind of a cuss word now in our culture. But it, it... Its root is found in the word evangel or gospel. That is, we are people committed to help people understand the gift of God, how to be right with him, and how to be right with other people. And it's a product of God's grace, God's gift of righteousness and salvation to us. So these are interrelated words, and Isaiah is going to use them to help us understand how God's good gift of righteousness, which connects to justice and his salvation, brings refreshment. It brings, like the word picture he's going to use, from a desolate, dark place, an empty place where there's no fruitfulness to a place where there is overwhelmingly good things. So, 
he starts to describe these things here in the first part of Isaiah 51. And he asked those people who were actually in pursuit of righteousness and who want to seek God to listen and to think hard. Now, before I um, get to the message of what he's going to say, let me say this. I know a lot of people who seek God, and um, they want to do that on their own terms. right? They want to seek the God that they interpret, and they want to seek him on their own terms. They want to make their own way to God. That's not what the Bible teaches us. We cannot earn our way to God. We don't define who God is. God defines us. And if we're truly going to seek him, it has to be connected to our personal righteousness. So that's why Isaiah starts that way, those who pursue righteousness. But that's a lot more difficult. That's messy. Because then we have to turn to God and say, I depend on you. I I can't get there myself. I completely depend on you for your righteousness. I don't come to God with a big pile of my good works because, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, we've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or as the King James, King James says, like, you know what it is? Filthy rags. That's a great word picture, isn't it? We are all, all of our stuff that we bring to God It's just a pile of dirty laundry, of junk. It's filthy compared to the holiness of God. We want to view ourselves as good and holy, but that's not reality. Reality is that I need the holiness of God. I need him to speak righteousness into me. I want to pursue that. I want to seek God, but it's the gift of God that's going to get me there, not my own good works. So even though I am at that place, at a place of spiritual empty, God is going to speak promise into me, and he speaks it out in this passage. And for those of us, Isaiah says, who are on that journey, the first message he gives is to know your heritage. Look to the rock, he says in Isaiah 51, which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. It's poetic language to give us a history lesson, right? Where do you come from? Now, you might think initially of your immediate family, right? The people that you know, the home that you know, the town you grew up in. And there's, there's a wide spectrum of that. Um, you came from different kinds of families, different kinds of cultures, different parts of the world, all of us here in this room. But there is this common legacy that Isaiah is pointing us to. I grew up in a small town in Southern California. And, um, and when I thought as a young man of old things like that we might have found, discovered. There were things that were like 50 years old or 60 years old. I can remember sitting with my great-grandmother, who was 100 years old, telling me stories about coming to California on a wagon train. A wagon train? That's so crazy to think about, right? Like that was before phones, right? Before iPhones, right? Uh, and that's, that was my grandmother's story. And when I thought of ancient history, I thought of my great-grandmother. I thought of Mammy, right? She had whiskers. She was really old. And, um, and I, I, could, I had this visual imagery. And then when I was in college, I went to study in Israel, and I went on an archaeological dig, and I started digging things up from the Iron Age. It's Davidic stuff. Think about that for a moment, right? Thousands of years old. You hold that stuff in your hand, 
and your perspective changes. Where did I come from? Where did you come from? Scripture says that um, you have a legacy. You have a history. Not just your immediate family of origin, but actually you have a spiritual legacy that God has been writing through the pages of this book, starting from Adam all the way through. And he, he focuses, Isaiah does for a moment, on a couple, Abram and Sarai. Actually, in the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on their journey, on the journey of faith that this couple went through that was seriously messy. <laughs> and, um, and it's good because that's like my story of faith. But Isaiah points us to our legacy, our history, and he points to this couple. And he does it intentionally because if you know their story a bit, you know that Abraham and Sarah they went through infertility. God made a promise to them that he was going to Abraham, that he was going to bless Abram and his seed, his generations, to become a great nation. But how in the world is that going to happen when I'm infertile? How, how does that even happen? What do I even think of at that moment? Many of you know our story, my, my wife's and my story, that we went through years of infertility and by the way, if you're walking that journey, Sue and I would love to talk with you about it. It's humbling. It's hard. It was fantastic for our marriage, though. I never would want to choose it for somebody, right? And um, so we went through this long journey of that, years of not being able to have kids. And those of you who are parents, you know this moment when you hold your child for the first time. Can you remember that moment? It's like way, it's ancient history, right, Bruce? <laughs> um, your parents are right next to you. Do you remember holding Bruce when he was a little boy? Right, Gene? Wasn't that precious? <clears throat> and, uh, and I remember the gift of both my sons who are actually here right now, Josh and Andrew. And Sue does too. Like when we first held them, how overwhelming that was. Just the, the joy of parenthood, right? That God, after all this journey, would bless us with children. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, but then they grew up, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's just such a great joy that God would bless us with kids. And so Isaiah writes, I want you to think a little bit about this journey, of this couple that went through barrenness. Like, they were empty in every way. And actually, Sarah's womb was an image of that, a picture of the emptiness and the heartache, repeated reminders of how empty they were. And for these people who are living in exile, repeated reminders of the struggle, the difficulty of this. And yet, God was going to give them a promise. A promise that would lead from their waste places, is the phrase he uses, or wilderness. And in that region, there's no vegetation at all in the wilderness. To a place where it would be like Eden. The Garden of Eden. There's no more fertile place or healthy. This is before sin, right? Before that entered in and there were weeds and everything else. But it was just the most fertile thing you can imagine. He gives us this fantastic word picture that it goes from the most barren place you can imagine to the most hopeful place and the most fertile place. That's why he uses this story to help us understand our legacy, 
our legacy that's connected to Abram because we are those children. We've been grafted into that same family, Scripture tells us. So God had this picture for us to understand that he's going to turn our desert into a garden. And then he uses more descriptive language. Verse 3, he uses the word, the image of Zion. Zion was a physical place. It's where the temple was built. They walked up to Mount Zion. That's in Jerusalem, actually. It's this hill in Mount Zion, a material place. But it's also this sacred space, a place that marks the heartbeat of worship for God's people. Zion represented God's presence to his people, and these people who now didn't have a temple, it had been destroyed, who were away from this, and were feeling the brokenness of that and feeling away from God in their spiritual wasteland. God's making a promise to them that I'm going to bring something to you, and it's going to feel like in your desolation, Eden breaks through. It's a vivid word picture. And God, through Isaiah, is reminding people that God has done far more than we give him credit for, and he's got things in their future that we can't even imagine, that are way better than we expect. Do you believe that? Do you believe, actually, that he has done things in your past that you haven't given him credit for? And do you believe that he has better things in your future than you can imagine? Because that's what the Bible tells us. That's the promise for us. And when we remember that, when we camp on that for a moment and step back, and what better day to do it than today, right? And do that faithfully. Remember God's hand and remember what he has promised for our future. Then something turns. Isaiah describes it this way. There'll be joy and gladness will be found in her and thanksgiving and the voice of the song. There'll be a song in you. That's actually why we worship together, isn't it? We worship because we have something worth our worship, worth turning our attention to, our song to, our joy to. Even when the days are difficult, we can do this. So notice, with this gratitude in mind, God's people are called to pay attention. And in verses 4 through 5, something happens. God brings something. He brings something lasting lasting justice and righteousness and salvation. And it's coming, Isaiah says, through a law that will go out. Now, that's kind of interesting phrasing because um, didn't they already have the law in Isaiah's day? Answer is yes, of course they did. They had the law, capital L, the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. And they had the ceremonial law, the, the things they should law, they, they obey, and, and they had a whole list of those, 614 laws, right? So they had that kind of law. But here in Isaiah, there's a promise of something different, a new law that would come. So what's he talking about here? What's the promise that's going to turn our desolation into something like the Garden of Eden, something so good and rich and fruitful we can't imagine? And what is this new law he's speaking of? Paul reminds us and explains it to us in Romans chapter 3, where he says this. Romans chapter 3, starting verse 19. Now we know that whatever law, the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. He's talking about the Old Testament commands. 
so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. I don't stand before God and God says, oh yeah, you've got a big enough pile of righteousness that measures up. No, actually, the commands of God strip me down naked before God and says, man, I've just got a bunch of filthy rags. That's all I got. And it's not enough. So that's what Paul is saying here. That's what the Old Testament law was about. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, the knowledge that I'm broken, that I cannot earn my way to God, and I need that gift. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, notice the language he uses, has been manifested or made known apart from the law, the Old Testament law. Although the law, capital L, the Torah, and the prophets, all the people who spoke on behalf of God, including Isaiah, they bear witness to it. They pointed to it, just like we see in Isaiah 51 here. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the new law. That is, you can be right before God by faith and faith alone, placing your faith in Christ and what he's done. That's the whole game. That's the gospel. That's the good news we celebrate. I've got a pile of filthy rags, and I exchange it for faith in God, for righteousness. It's a great exchange, right? Verse 24, and there's no distinction. Like, some of you aren't better than others, he's saying. Some of you don't have a better pile of filthy rags than others, and so God accepts you. That's not how it works. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is the price he paid in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus died on a cross and paid the penalty for your sin, you can have this gift. You can receive it like you received a bunch of great gifts at Christmas. Or you can reject it and walk away with your filthy pile of rags. But you can know the righteousness of God through the gift of Christ. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He saw them, but he was waiting for this new law, the law of Christ, that is, that we could have righteousness from God by faith in him. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the new law. That's the work that Isaiah is pointing to, this gift. It's not your pile of rags. It's the righteousness of Christ that you can have through, through faith. Now, notice in our passage there are two defining characteristics of this new work that God is going to send. First, it would be a light to the people, Isaiah says. This new law would bring justice for all. Not just the nation of Israel or one people group that thought they might be better than others, but he's going to bring a new law, Christ, to all. As Paul says, no distinction. Every person, every tribe, and every language, every culture, every nation before God as one, equal, on equal footing, And we all have piles of filthy rags, and we all can receive the gift that God gives to us, his righteousness, so that we might have relationship with him. 
That's the story. A light he is going to come to bring to the peoples. That's why it's so powerful when Jesus says, I am the, yeah, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. That's the light that Isaiah is writing about in Isaiah 51. And Jesus is using that phrase to spark people, to help them understand that this is a new light for all people. And second, it's eternal. Isaiah writes, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. Look at everything you can see, everything that you know as reality, right? Everything that that you think is real. Look around for a moment at that. For the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. It's a perspective changer. Look around you. Everything you think is real and lasting is not actually going to last. There are only a few things that really last. There's only a few things. And it's probably not what you're throwing all your energy and priorities into right now that really truly last. I look around and I see things that don't last. Cars. Your car was not made to last. Some of you know exactly what I'm saying, right? You're thinking about, oh, I'm going to have to get a new car. Your appliances, actually, they were built not to last. So you'd have to go out and buy new ones, right? We've got a whole list of things in my life that don't last, that are not eternal. And yet I throw all this energy into those things. Isaiah says, no, actually, those things, they're going to vanish. They're going to disappear. They're not lasting. There's only a few things that last. But my salvation that is, God's gift to me of rescue and righteousness and justice, of a right relationship with him, that, that lasts. That, that lasts forever. That's why it's so important for us to be sharing that gift with other people because that's the one gift I can give somebody that will last. Some of you got gifts on Christmas Day that didn't last. They're gone already, Right? And maybe it was goodies, or maybe it was a toy or something. That, that doesn't. But God sings, no, this is something very different, some much more important. That's why it can take you from a desperate place to a place that's like the Garden of Eden. It's difficult to imagine that things that I think are real are going to no longer be real one day. But listen, this week I was with a couple of families who people, they have dear relatives who are in the process of dying. doesn't last. You might be young and think, oh, yeah, but, you know, 50, 60 years ago, that's a long time. It's not going to last. I I can't even guarantee you that I'm going to walk off this pulpit and still be alive, right? God can take me any moment, can take us any moment. That's what I know at this point in my life. But there are some things, the things that I want to be vested in that do last. And here, Isaiah reminds them, Your salvation lasts, so remember it. Remember to throw your energy, your priorities into the things that are truly lasting. Isaiah rephrases this word in verses 7 and 8 where he says, Listen to me. If you haven't caught it the first time, let me say it one more time. You who know righteousness. Now, he began by saying, you who pursue it, but you that know it, 
You, you that have relationship with God and you know it, listen to this. The people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man or be dismayed at their revilings. Don't, don't worry about culture or what people are saying. Why do you worry so much about that, what other people are talking about? You know the things that are going to last that are most important. And it's not what's advertised to you after you watch TV. That, that's not going to last for the moth will eat them up like a garment. Their worm will eat them like a wool. That's a visual. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Listen, if, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you came here, let me encourage you this year to throw all of your energy and, and everything you've got into things that last. Carve out the stuff that's not going to last that's a bad investment. They're not going to last. Throw yourself into things that do last. What lasts? The Lord God of heaven and earth, he lasts. Your soul, it lasts. The soul of your friends, it lasts. The word of God lasts. And right here from Isaiah, salvation lasts. Throw your energy there. And if you came this morning, and you thought you could earn your way to God's acceptance. But you've actually been throwing yourself into the things that are just filthy rags that don't last. Can I just encourage you? That doesn't have to be you, your experience. You can receive a gift. It's the gift of God's right relationship with himself and with other people. And it happens as you place your faith, as Paul encourages us in Romans chapter 3, just to place your faith in the Lord God and receive that gift. You just come before him, get honest with him and say, Lord, I, okay, I acknowledge it. Um, I'm not right. I'm not right with you. And I confess, there's been all kinds of times if I'm real, where I've disappointed you I've done things that have not been right. They're they're sin, and I need your forgiveness. And God, I need the gift of your son. And I'm scared to do it, but I want to place my confidence in you. I want a relationship with you. I want something that really, truly lasts. When you get honest like that, in that conversation with God, the Lord says he makes you new. And he gives you the gift of his righteousness. I would encourage you to do that. Have a conversation with someone that brought you this morning. I'll be here right afterwards if you'd like to talk. Let's throw our things this year, our energy, our investments, everything we got, and the things that last. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this good word of encouragement. And I pray that you would encourage us strongly we would throw our, th- our energies, our investments, everything we've got, and things to last. And when we do discover it, Lord, birth out in us uh, joy and a rejoicing and even a song for these things in Christ's name and for his glory and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. 
Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.